Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we're going to talk some USC football recruiting with our guy, Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. He does an amazing job covering USC football recruiting for uscfootball.com. We've been together about 12 years now, and uh, Gerard's always on top of it. We wanted to do as many recruiting shows as we could leading up to National Signing Day, which is February 1st. It's the first Wednesday in February, and uh, lots of stuff going on. Of course, USC wins the Rose Bowl. How does that change recruiting? You guys have sent in an absolute ton of questions about USC football recruiting, and Gerard is never one to shy away from answers that <laughs> that can be a little longer. So we're going to try to we'll try to rate them in a little bit. But there's a lot to talk to. We want to give him as much of a leash as possible to to spread his wings out there and tell everyone all about USC football recruiting. If you have any questions for us, email podcast at uscfootball.com or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can, there's our voicemail number there. You can also leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. We're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and all those different podcast apps. So check it out there. Subscribe to it. Tell your USC Trojan football friends about the Peristyle podcast. We've been going since 2008 doing shows. Uh, now we're doing two or three a week, but well, at least once a week for, eight or nine years now. So lots of uh, lots of information we've disseminated here on the Peristyle Podcast. And one of our most popular segments is always when Gerard comes on and shares his thoughts about USC football recruiting. So let's welcome in Gerard. What is up, sir? How are you? I'm doing good. Long week in San Antonio, and we're going to have three long weeks ahead of us until signing day. Uh, but right now, I feel good. Um, I'm still pretty refreshed after that nice little dead period we had during the holiday, not necessarily a dead period for us in terms of coverage, but uh, things kind of slow down and quiet a little bit, and then we head to San Antonio, and obviously there's a deluge of information that comes from the recruits that are playing in the game. Uh, so now we're, uh, we've are we got that under our belts, and uh, we got three more weeks. The light at the end of the tunnel, we can see it. Is it a freight train, or is it heaven? <laughs> we don't know. Yes, uh, and if, hopefully you guys have been able to check out the site because Gerard and our guy Shotgun were both down in San Antonio. I normally go down with Gerard, um, but because of the Rose Bowl, I stayed at home to cover that, and Gerard and Shotgun had a lot of stuff, a great like 15-minute video of talking about all the recruits. Uh, we put up a bunch of stuff. Of course, Bubba Bolden ended up recommitting uh, to USC uh, at the game. Before we get into the questions, Gerard, just quick take. Uh, what do you think overall of the – um, Army All-American Bowl? Uh, it was nice. Um, I would really have liked to have seen Stephen Carr, the five-star running back from Summit High School in Fontana, get the ball more. Uh, I think he got one carry in the game, and he was used quite a bit throughout the week. They used him not only as a tailback uh, and in some two tailback sets with Najee Harris, but also in the slot as a receiver. And he just didn't get many targets in that game, and I think that was – Disappointing for him. Obviously, he had like 30 family members that were at the game. Um, I think from a coaching standpoint, the West coaching moves were questionable. Um, I think that coaching staff had uh, some kind of, um, you know, some prior 
uh, things that they wanted to get done. You know, we saw in the beginning of the week, uh, both Foster Sorrell and uh, Austin Jackson playing guard in the beginning of uh, practices, that Monday, Tuesday practices. It's really where you get the most action out of the Army All-American Bowl uh, is those first two practices. And we even had a scrimmage where you had one-on-ones with the offense and defensive lines uh, with the East and the West, which is something we haven't seen in prior years. And they also had some one-on-ones with the skilled players in a seven-on-seven period. So uh, we saw Austin Jackson and Foster Sorrell, the two top-ranked offensive tackles in the country, playing guard. And you had Walker Little, who was uh, actually from Episcopal High School, which is ironically, coincidentally, where the coaches uh, were coaching from. So he was playing tackle, and it kind of pushed those guys inside, and I think um, that was a little bit of favoritism. That was a little bit of home cooking, and we may have seen a little bit of that as well with uh, the running back selection and uh, Eno Benjamin, uh, a Texas kid, getting a lot of carries in that game, whereas uh, you know Stephen Carr basically was the odd man out. You had Najee Harris, number one running back in the country, and then Eno Benjamin from Texas, um, getting all the carries. So that was disappointing. We haven't really come away from a game in the past where you've seen a couple of players really not get any looks. And, and it wasn't that Austin Jackson uh, or, or Foster Sorrell, who actually ended up playing some offensive tackle, I think he ended up playing right tackle, I believe, um, where they you know didn't get any looks in the game. But it would certainly they seemed like they are getting moved out of position. And the West didn't play very well because of that. I think the West had a superior offensive line. They certainly had superior offensive line talent, and we saw that in the one-on-ones. But in terms of game plan, uh, they didn't really – I don't think they really executed with the personnel in the right places, and they were pretty much dominated by the East this year. Um, yeah, we had a lot of questions. I got a lot of tweets. Why isn't Stephen Carr getting more carries? What's going on? Is he still there? And, yeah, so that was uh, – USC fans weren't really happy not to see him get in there much. And let me interject because we talked about this in the video, you know, up and through the week. And again, you know, the weeks of practice is really where you gain the most evaluation time because that's where you're really seeing all the reps. Now, granted, it's not the competition that you're getting in game where you've got a, you know, all out East versus West and those guys are going at each other, but you definitely get to see more reps. And throughout the week, we saw a lot of Stephen Carr. Um, now, we didn't get to see him run the ball against full contact, which is very important, and that's why it's disappointing that we didn't get to see him in the game. However, the one thing I would point out is that what we saw from Stephen Carr is that he moved around a lot, and he never looked like he was swimming. He never looked like he was overwhelmed by the playbook. They moved him around more than any of the other running backs. They had him playing running back. They had him in – uh, you know, kind of a split running back set. They had him in the slot. They had him in motion. And he never looked like he was lost in the offense. And I think that's very important. I think in terms of being a freshman back and what and how much you can contribute as a freshman at the college level has a lot to do with your ability to understand the passing game, uh, both run blocking or, excuse me, uh, pass blocking um, and catching the ball out of the backfield. And certainly in USC's offense, that's going to be very important. So um, I think from that standpoint, watching him process and absorb the playbook, uh, he did that very well, and I think that's very important for him to be able to step in and make an impact next year as a freshman. The, uh, so we want to get into the questions too, but you also, you know, if, uh, for, if you've been a poster on USCfootball.com for a while, uh, you remember the kabooms? Um, Basically, someone would just post on the on the uh, peristyle, kaboom, which would mean something big is happening in the world <laughs> of recruiting, and it looks like you you did one of those this morning. Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of an old recruiting guru thing. That's where it came from back yeah. in the days. 
uh, when the recruiting guru uh, used to anonymously post on the message board, and it's sort of been just uh, one of those terms, one of those things that's, um, you know, st- stuck around in the lexicon of the peristyle. And, um, yeah, there was one that dropped this morning, a, a big-time uh, get for USC that we're expecting here uh, next few days, probably within the week. Um, now, don't hold me to that because, you know, these things can change, but uh, definitely a big get that uh, appears to be in the pocket of USC. Uh, this particular recruit has already made some phone calls and uh, told other college coaches he's going to USC. So we're just kind of waiting now to see when it breaks and see when it drops, but uh, a vital, vital piece to the puzzle for USC in this 2007 class. So we're going to wait, you know, let the kid make some, his own announcement uh, his own way without necessarily telling you exactly who it is. Uh, but it's a big one for USC, definitely. Yeah, kaboom! Those are always fun uh, around. So check out the Peristyle. There's some more details up on uscfootball.com. Premium message board, if you don't know, you should know. The Peristyle. That's where all the news breaks, and that's where all the uh, insiders discuss what is going on with USC football. Okay, so let's jump into the questions, Gerard. And this is, I think, one that we've probably seen in a number of different variations. Uh, Justin wrote in. He said, I really thought that recruits would be flocking to USC this year, but it feels like it's going the other way. Uh, am I overreacting, or is there just something more going on uh, from Justin? And, and really about once USC won the Rose Bowl, I think a lot of USC fans expected just recruits to jump off and just jump in and commit right away. <laughs> yeah, so rapid fire, yes, you're overreacting. Um, the interesting thing about, you know, Clay Helton thus far and, and something that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist. You know, I went to school for this, and, and so I'm, I'm a trained guy, and even I have to con- just continue to keep in the back of my head, you got to wait to really see the finished product here. You, 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 everybody wants to sort of get ahead of the game here. They want to get ahead of the curve and make that call and be the first guy to say, this is what happens. I don't know if it's ego or what, but you see it on the message boards all the time. And I guess, you know, people want to be able to, you know, be able to tell the future. You know, they, they have this divine ability to just, <laughs> to just tell the future. And if, hey, man, if you can tell the future, shoot, you can never be wrong about anything, right? And so that's why everybody wants to be first about what's going to happen, how the team is going to play. And we've seen, you know, there's two prime examples, which, you know, empirically we have to sit back and look and say, okay, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. A, we have last year's recruiting class. Last year's recruiting class looked to be kind of, kind of a mess uh, as, at this time last year because you had Clay Helton, who was named head coach, and you saw a lot of the commits uh, that were with USC at that point were happy about that. They liked Clay Helton. The team certainly was happy about that, and I think that was reflective of that current committed class. But you had to close strong. With, with a good seven or eight prospects. And it didn't look like USC was maybe going to do that, but they did. They pulled it out, 11th hour, signing day, boom, boom, boom. You're getting guys like Jamel Cook and Keyshawn Young. Um, there's just a bunch of top prospects that they were able to close with late after it looked like USC was going to have a very mediocre class. So we have that. We have to keep that in mind. Then we have to look at the season. I mean, you know, we all understand. We, we, we all can be honest with ourselves. And look, after that Utah game, we thought the season was a complete debacle. There were people already saying, okay, Clay Allen's going to be fired. Let's look forward to who the next head coach could be. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion. And yet, 
we saw what happened during the season. We saw them pull it out, go on a huge run, and finish the season with a Rose Bowl victory. And even in that Rose Bowl, which you could sort of say that is kind of another example of USC closing or Clay Helton closing, you know, they looked like they were maybe out of that game for a, a certain time. I mean, they're up early, and all of a sudden, Penn State got that momentum. Boom, they're up two touchdowns. They're doing what Penn State does. They come back in the fourth quarter. It's all Penn State. And then USC comes back at the very end and is able to pull that game out. So we got to all just sit back a little bit here and not get nervous and panic about how recruiting is. I mean, at least probably until signing day because there's going to be some signing day announcements, and they're probably going to impact the class as to whether it's a good class or it's a great class. Um, and so, you know, that I would say right now you just got to kind of let things play out. And I know that's hard to, for, for fans to, know, to hear and, and to have that patience, but that's just how it's going to be because we've seen too many times already where the final product of what USC has done is not known until the very end. Well put, Gerard. Uh, that's good. But we had, we had a lot of people kind of asking about that. And, you know, and I think just in general um, – I mean, you're talking about the final weeks of a recruiting class and a lot of players have had so much, you know, of their mind made up already. And, you know, there, there's some guys still making decisions, but I think a Rose Bowl win might impact the class of 2018 significant, significantly more than maybe the class of 2017. Yeah, I think, you know, USC, first and foremost, I think there's a lot of assumption that, hey, you win big games and boom, it's going to be right back to the Pete Carroll years. And that's just not the way it is. I mean, USC's got to build a little more credibility here. Uh, Certainly this year helped, and winning the Rose Bowl helped. Granted, there's a lot of people that thought the USC should blow Penn State out in the Rose Bowl, and they didn't do that. Um, So there's still questions. There's questions within the fan base, and I think outside the fan base, there's still some hesitation uh, about Clay Helton, and there's still questions about the coaching staff. So the momentum is just not quite there yet. It's great momentum this year. It's going to help them in a lot of situations, but – People are comparing USC to like Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and maybe some of these other schools, even Florida State, that, you know, over the last decade have had a lot more success than USC. They didn't have sanctions also, which is a little bit of a caveat to remember, but they've had a lot more success. And USC has been able to really recruit well despite everything, despite the sanctions, despite not really having any great seasons. I mean, they had that one season in 2013 which was pretty good with Lane Kiffin where they won 11 games. But really it's been kind of a struggle and sort of an eight-win, you know, sort of thing going on where they've been sort of mediocre. So U.S. and then stability-wise, USC just hasn't been there with the likes of Alabama or the likes of Ohio State or some of these other schools that, you know, have established themselves over the past few years. So from a recruiting standpoint, you really can't compare them right now to those schools. Um, again, it's just the amount of patience. It's about – not just winning a Rose Bowl, but getting back to the Rose Bowl. It's about, you know, putting consecutive seasons, successful seasons together and stringing them together. I mean, you know, people keep talking about USC. Are USC back? USC's back. A lot of alums want to say, hey, USC is back. And again, that goes back to the whole, hey, I want to be first to say something thing. USC's back to what? You can't say USC's back to Pete Carroll until they win a bunch of games, until you know they go on this streak of being in the national championship hunt every year, year in and year out. Then you know you can say, okay, they're back. So you know what are you back to? You back to the J. Rob days? Are you back to Larry Smith? You know they won Rose Bowls. 
if you want to be back to Pete Carroll, then it's about winning and not just winning, but winning consistently and stringing together that success. Well put, Gerard. Um, okay, so let's, uh, and that was 2012, by the way. And, and Kiffin went 10 and 2, not, he didn't win 11. Um, 2012, I thought they went to the Sun Bowl. I think it was 12, they went 10 and 2. Isn't that right? And then. 2011, wait, no, 2011. I think they won 11 games versus 2010. Whatever. Yeah. People know what we're talking the year about. After, the year afterwards, they went 7-6 and six after they were preseason number one and all that. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. They had all that hype with Matt Barkley coming back and everything, and then they fell flat on their face, you know, uh, exactly. literally and figuratively. Yes. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Tarek has a question. <laughs> I don't know if everybody got that one, but yeah, moving along. <laughs> I got it. Um, Tarek had a question. And uh, congrats to our buddy Tark. He, he recently got engaged, so uh, congrats. Oh, to, yeah. congratulations! Very nice. Um, so, how do Aubrey Solomon and Jay Tufele compare to Rashawn Gary? Wow, Rashawn Gary. Okay. Um, well, here's one thing: Rashawn Gary played mostly defensive end in high school, and was more of a skilled pass rusher. I'd say he was maybe a little more athletic from that standpoint. He was a guy that got from A to B really well when A to B uh, was a, a little bit of a distance. He was a guy that could uh, run down players from the backside. Um, I think the athleticism um, in a larger area is probably uh, a little more with a guy like Rashawn Gary. I think that's where he stands out more. Whereas with, Sol- with Aubrey Solomon and Jay Tufele, it's really that first step. Those guys are explosive. They're sudden. They're extremely quick. And they just bounce right out of their stance. And with their hands, they're very quick as well. And it's really a matter of beating their guy with that first couple steps. Um, I think with uh, what we saw with Aubrey Solomon just uh, this past week was an incredible ability to be able to put two, two moves together, hit you with the first move, boom, swim move. And if that doesn't work, he's very quick to transition in that second move. And you don't see that a lot with high school players. The also the, the thing that's important to talk about with uh, Solomon is that he plays as a one shade in high school. So he's a guy that doesn't necessarily, I mean, you know, with Rashawn Gary, he was a guy playing out, you know, sometimes five technique, seven technique. Um, and he's a guy that everybody says, okay, he's 285, 290, he's going to have to move inside. He's going to have to adjust to playing in that phone booth inside the tackles. That's not true of Aubrey Solomon. That's not true of Jay Tufeli. Both those guys play inside now, um, and, and Solomon plays a lot over the center, and so the transition will be easier for him because he's used to playing there. And, again, I think that's probably why their strengths, both of them, uh, Jay and with Aubrey, is quickness because inside it's all about quickness. You, you don't have a lot of room to maneuver. You're not out there on the edge of space uh, playing that five technique. You're, you're a one technique. Uh, maybe you're playing some three technique. I think you played some three technique in the Army game. And uh, so you, you're playing inside. you just you, you got to move quickly before those big guards and that center gets his hands on you because it's over then. Um, so I say from that standpoint, that's where those guys really excel. It's, man, just right off the snap. They explode off the snap. Um, and they have that very much in common. So I would say that's the big difference. They are more true interior defensive linemen right now coming out of high school than Rashawn Gary was. Rashawn Gary – more upside in terms of athleticism, um, but not a whole lot. I, I think Jay and, and Solomon are, are both guys that uh, are, are tremendous from that standpoint as well. Um, it's just a matter of um, how they get it done, how they get from point A to point B. Let's uh, speaking of evaluations, we wanted John had a question, um, and you mentioned this this prospect already. He says physically, 
who would you compare Stephen Carr to, and what kind of back is he? Thanks for all the hard work uh, from John. Well, he's a combo back. He does a lot of everything well. Uh, there's been a lot of comparisons thrown out there. I've seen Ezekiel Elliott, and that's not a terrible comparison. I don't think he's quite as explosive. And, and, you know, I mean, I only really saw Ezekiel Elliott kind of his last two years at Ohio State. You know, that's kind of when he came on the radar where I saw him. So it's kind of hard to, to, to say where Stephen Carr is comparing him to Ezekiel Elliott at this point in time in their careers. Um, but the guy that I've always sort of kind of gone to with that comparison with Carr is Clinton Portis. He just reminds me of Clinton Portis. He's such a good receiver. He's not, you know, super big. He's not really super fast either. But the thing that I see with Clinton Portis, which made him an elite player, was his lateral quickness. His ability to move laterally outside that hole and to bounce it outside and then cut it back in and gain yards. It was always really hard to tackle Clinton Portis because he had this ability to sort of step out of tackles, not just vertically, but away laterally. And that's what I see with Stephen Carr. I see the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, to be just a really consistent, impressive receiver. You can move him around. He processes well. And then that lateral movement and then being able to get upfield with that. So that's the guy that I always go to with with Stephen Carr in terms of comparisons. That's a good one. I like that. Um... How about Eric in Duck Country, Gerard? He said, have any defensive tackle recruits been impressed by Stevie Tuikolovatu winning the Rose Bowl's defensive MVP? And would that be a strong selling point? Eric in Duck Country. I think it's definitely a strong selling point for Jay Tufele. I think that's definitely something that um, USC is going to push. The big question for me is, will Stephen Tuikolovatu actually be on campus to host Jay Tufele. I don't know. Um, I know his family, I think, just moved down here to Southern California. I think they were in Utah, and he was going back and forth. Uh, I know during one of the bye weeks he was back in Utah, and during the holidays he was back in Utah. So I'm not 100% sure if he's actually going to be on campus. We would assume USC would want him to be on campus, and really wanting him to host Jay Tufele on that official visit because there's so much he can relate to. There's so much there you know, in a year, what Stevie uh, Kolawatu got from USC uh, is, is huge, just the experience and the success that he had um, making that move from Utah to USC. Because it could have gone bad. It could have been bad. You see a lot of grad transfers. It just doesn't work out for them. Um, and, and in this case, it just was like everything he transferred for came to fruition and probably more than he even expected. Um, you know, the draft status. The, just you know, being able to win a Rose Bowl, I think the total experience is probably very positive for Stevie, and you definitely want that to be conveyed to a guy like Jay Tufele from Utah, kind of gone through probably a lot of the same things. So from that standpoint, yeah, I think that's, that's huge. Uh, with Aubrey Solomon, yeah, it's probably significant too. I mean, just when you have a guy that's had that success, and then he's moving on, and you can showcase that spot, and you can showcase what he did and how he did it, uh, that's always going to be attractive. It's just a matter of selling it and pushing it, and that's going to be on Kenichio Daisy, the defensive line coach, and it's going to be on the staff to be able to present it. And then hopefully, you know, they're able to kind of close the door and, and, and make it happen. You're, you're talking about a guy, you know, from Utah, who I know Utah is very heavily involved with. A lot of people think he's going to end up at Utah. Uh, Michigan is also pushing hard for Jay Tufele. And then with USC recruiting Aubrey Solomon, 
you've got two schools which are way ahead right now. And you may have three schools that are ahead, but two schools are really his favorites, and that's Alabama and that's Michigan. So USC's playing from behind. The only thing is he's originally from California, Fresno, which obviously isn't Los Angeles, uh, but he is from the West Coast, still got family out here. So we're going to see kind of how that, how, you know, how, how that makes an impression on him, and he feels like he can play on the West Coast and, and be more of a West Coast guy. He calls himself a Cali kid, and certainly talking to him, he comes off like a West Coast kid. He's not one of those, you know, sort of um, shy, introverted, um, you know, yes sir, no sir, uh, kids from the South. A lot of the defensive tackles from the South, they don't say much. They're not outgoing. They don't have much personality. They're just very quiet, and he's not that kid. He's kind of a jokester. He's kind of a ham and a pretty articulate kid. And so from that standpoint, um, I think he will – uh, find that, you know, USC and the other commits and the recruits that are around campus this weekend, uh, you know, he'll be able to relate to them better. I think it also helps, too, with, uh, you know, USC could probably use another graduate transfer on the defensive line, seeing one come in that was uh, playing at Utah but not starting and then work as what, you know, start the whole season and be defensive MVP for the Rose Bowl. Probably doesn't hurt hurt for that either, I would think. No, uh, 100%, but those guys are very few and far between. That's that's the biggest issue. I mean, USC would love to be able to bring in a guy that's physically capable of stepping right in, that has the experience of playing college football at a high level. Um, I mean, you know, maybe there's a guy at Utah that's, you know, behind uh, those guys and and maybe a second-string guy that could come in and and find that opportunity at USC and be able to excel. Um, There's a possibility. There's also those guys that sometimes are junior college players that find that, uh, they actually have the credits to be able to get in a year earlier. There's a lot of different situations that pop up, but they're really, in terms of defensive tackles, and you're looking for that to happen again, that might be tough. That might be lightning striking twice. And so USC has to trail. And certainly, regardless of grad transfers, you've got to recruit that position at the high school level and have some guys that are able to come in and be able to develop those guys. And certainly, I think if USC was to get one out of two between Aubrey Solomon and Jay Tufeli, USC fans would be more than happy. Um, getting both of those guys is kind of, uh, I mean, that's, 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 that's going into the sort of Darnay Holmes realm of, wow, that's amazing. I mean, talk about icing on the cake. I think one or two of the, one of two of those guys is, is really what you're shooting for for USC. Um, and, you know, grad transfers, who knows if that happens or not. Let's see. We got our buddy Bear Secutor writing in. And, uh, before we jump into this question, he's, he's written in a bunch. Um, we, we're going to ask Bear Secutor to maybe edit himself, a little self editing, because there's usually a lot of names, uh, in his <laughs> questions. And a lot of them aren't the correct names or they're spelled wrong and stuff. So just bear scooter, we love you. We lo- we want we want you to send in the questions. Try to do a little self editing, and so you're not just you're shooting like you know shotgun pellets at the wall and seeing which one goes out. So okay, yeah. So sometimes you're reading these names and you don't you're, you don't cover recruiting, so you don't know who's who. So you're reading a name to me, and I'm going, um, I think you mean this guy. I'm not sure. Yes. So just a little little self editing, bear scooter. We'll tight a little tighter. We just bring it in tight. You're, it's kind of loose. We're gonna tighten it in. And uh, But here's your question. Uh, weeks away from signing day, give us your current evaluations of this year's top offensive line recruits from California, especially, and then he says, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker uh, from USC, Andrew Voorhees, USC, Jalen McKenzie, maybe USC, Aaron Banks, Notre Dame, Chuck Filaga, uh, Michigan, who played his high school in California, Wyatt Davis, uh, coming to Ohio State, and uh, 
yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll just leave it at that. Barracuda, and those are the names of them. There's more. There's more. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop there. So just I'll do some editing myself. But yeah, give us an evaluation of USC's offensive target list. Um, okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about the commits first because obviously that's the most important. And, we'll, and I'll try to breeze through these yeah, rather quickly we'll with like a ones, sentence yeah. or two. Yeah. Uh, uh, Elijah Very Tucker, um, very much kind of the Achuma Adoga, very athletic, extremely explosive, extremely nasty and aggressive. If he played at you know a higher level of competition, he'd be a five star. I think that's the biggest question. He's playing in Oakland, and it's kind of sort of hit and miss. Um, if you're not playing De La Salle, really is the only school that has that kind of you know national regional respect. Um, but he is. His tape is as good as any offensive lineman I've seen in a long time. I mean, I compared that to Jeff Byers coming out of high school. His tape is fantastic. And so just an explosive, violent player that uh, could play off the tackle, even though he's a bit short, um, but probably ends up playing guard just because of his explosiveness and his ability to get down to that second tier of the defense. Um, Andrew Voorhees, huge 6'6". Um, 295 pounds, all of that could be well over 300 pounds and carry it very well. Uh, very impressive physical specimen. Um, a guy that, again, on tape is very good. I think he's a little underrated. I, I think he's a guy that could legitimately push for a four-star. Um, kind of his body reminded me a lot of Chris O'Dowd. When I first saw him at the Nike camp regional up in Oakland, I said, man, that guy looks a lot like Chris O'Dowd because he's just bigger. You know, you can have a 6'6". 300-pound guy, and proportionately, he just looks like a 6'6", 300-pound guy. You know, got a little bit of a belly, and you're kind of, okay, all right, yeah, he's 6'6", 300 pounds. And then you've got a guy like Chris O'Dowd, or in this case, Andrew Voorhees, who just shoulders, head, hands, just not proportionately the same as most guys. He's just a bigger, stronger, bigger-framed guy, and that's who Andrew Voorhees is. Again, Plays offensive tackle, but another guy that could definitely move in and play guard. So uh, I, I think a very good get for USC. Um, Jalen McKenzie, who just got a scholarship offer last Friday from USC, is a 6'6", 310-pound guy who's more proportionally built. Uh, really good-looking guy off the hoof. I mean, as good as you look at, at any left tackle um, that we've seen on the West Coast. Um, coming off an ACL injury, was a little bit stiff, thought he was a little bit hesitant, at the Nike camp when we saw him, that was his first time actually playing competitively uh, in a camp situation since he blew his knee. So, you know, you kind of looked at him and it was like with, with reservation, you kind of had to keep in the back of your mind, this guy's coming off an ACL and how, hasn't done one-on-one drills like this. So just from the standpoint of him physically, he looks great. He looks like a million dollars. People may remember his brother, uh, Khalil McKenzie, who was a number one recruit in the nation who committed to Tennessee. He's playing at Tennessee now at the defensive tackle. He's a bit more sought off. He's kind of a different built player, actually, than Jalen is. Jalen is the bigger Ranger guy. So it's not one of those things where you're going, well, yeah, Jalil McKenzie was really more 6'3", he wasn't 6'6". No, no, no. Jalen is legitimately 100% 6'5", 6'6", and he's got long arms. And he looks the part of an offensive tackle. Um, now we haven't seen—I haven't seen him play this season. And certainly, uh, you, should, you know, everybody's kind of looking at his senior film. Um, but I think with the bloodlines and everything going for him, there's just a lot of potential there. So I can see why USC would definitely be interested in him. Um, he could end up being a really, really good player. Um, Chuck Filiaga is another guy that you know I saw a lot of when he was here in California. Played for Vista Marietta. A very, very raw football player. Very raw. 
from just about every aspect of football. We were talking about Raw in terms of just his physical ability. He's got to get stronger. He's huge. He's like probably 330, 6'5", but he's also kind of out of shape in that, in that regard. Um, a little, a little slow footed. Um, he's got to sort of lose a little bit of weight, get back to being what a place where he's got quick feet. Um, and he's very raw from the standpoint of football. I don't think he really knows football or understands football very well. And so that's going to slow his process. This is going to be a little bit of development for him. And he's another guy that you're working more with potential than you are, you know, okay, bring him in. He's going to make an impact immediately. Um, Wyatt Davis, you know, 6'3", 6'4", um, I think a fantastic player, a guy that comes off as a really nice kid. He's got the glasses and, you know, oh, this kid, you know, maybe he's not real tough. And that's sort of the rap on him with some people. Um, I, I know USC isn't recruiting him as hard as a lot of USC fans think they should, <laughs> they should be. Um, that's been a topic on the Peristyle for a while. Uh, you know, why aren't we after him harder? There's been some chatter that maybe he's not as solid with Ohio State or Ohio State's not as solid with him as everybody thinks. Um, there's a chance that he visits UCLA. But, again, I just, just doesn't seem like USC is making a huge push for him. And some people will say, well, you know what, that's because he's not really interested in USC and, and he committed to Ohio State and, and never was really high on USC. But I have pretty good sources that just give me the sense that, you know, early on in the process, USC was not as enamored with him as a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker. And so – you know, but from my standpoint, I take him in a heartbeat because I have seen him play in person and I've seen him be a nasty guy. I've seen him go out there and be physical and be aggressive. And even as a junior, I remember watching him. Um, I ISO'd him against uh, Keanu uh, Saliapaga, or Keanu Saliapaga, who was committed to USC at the time, the defensive end from La Mirada, who's about 6'5", 260 pounds. And why Davis, man, he was, he was just crushing him the whole game. Um, and, and there was a couple times where – you know, they went one-on-one, and he beat him, and he got him on the ground, and he, you know, pushed his hands in his face mask and did the knee as he got up into the, to the thigh and all that kind of stuff that you want to see, that sort of nasty finishing a play from an offensive lineman. So from my standpoint, I think he's definitely a player that you recruit and you take, but if you're looking for an offensive tackle, he may not be your guy. He's more of an inside guy. He's more of a guard. I think that's where he excels and is going to excel going forward. Uh, obviously, USC could use some interior linemen also. Uh, but at this point, like I said, this doesn't seem like they're pushing for him really hard. I, I, don't, I mean, if he called tomorrow and said, hey, I want to commit to USC, I don't think USC is necessarily going to turn him down. But I just don't see them pressing after him right now. You know, it could change, but right now just doesn't seem it. So I guess that would probably be the guys. I think I got most of that list. Yeah, I think so. And if not, I mean, that's enough. <laughs> so, yeah, editing. We're going to edit that down a little bit. All right, uh, Callum wrote in, and he said, Gerard, do you know if the incoming long snapper, uh, Damon Johnson, will immediately be put on scholarship when he enrolls mid-year, or will they wait until fall camp starts to award him his scholarship so they can count him towards the 2018 class? It seems like a strange decision to use one of those valuable 23 remaining Initial counter spots on, uh, for a 2017, uh, for the 2017 class on a long snapper when USC's recruiting momentum is so high coming off the Rose Bowl win, they need to take advantage of that momentum and land as many top recruits as they can, 23, not 22. And I know long snapper is an important position, but let's not forget that the last scholarship long snapper, McBride, uh, SC brought in a walk on and beat him out, uh, Smith. That's from Callum. Forgive me, I am not on top of the details of long snapping. I do know that it was assumed 
he would be in as an early enrollee. Uh, USC offered him a scholarship a long time ago. Obviously, he had to go the JUCO route. Uh, but to my knowledge, I think he's coming in as an early enrollee. Uh, part of that may be due to just what the depth chart looks like. It's long snapper also. I mean, you're, you have to take that into account for spring ball. I actually don't know. Again, don't follow the long snappers uh, super closely. Uh, but you know what? It's one of those things of, you know, it's today or it's tomorrow. It's eventually going to count towards something. So I, I think, you know, the fans are like, hey, you know, this precious 23 rides that we have to get back to the national championship. Well, 2018 is going to be that same argument. You're going to have those precious rides that you want to have for that class, which may be great. And we get to this point in time, you know, this this next year, and we're looking at the 2018 class, and there's only five rides left, and everybody's going, oh, why do I have to give it to the long snapper? You know, it's always it's going to cost you at some point. So, I mean, whether it's, you know, this spring or into the fall counting against 2018, USC wants to bring in a long snapper. They want to scholarship him. They feel like it's an important position. Obviously, John Baxter has a lot of sway uh, in that. You know, we never saw Pete Carroll offering any specialists. I don't think he even offered many kickers scholarships. And we see how important that is, obviously, with the Rose Bowl win. Um, but, you know, with John Baxter there, special teams is a, a vital part of the program and, and the, success, the success that USC has, um, obviously, through the eyes of Clay Helton. So, you know, those guys are going to get scholarships. And like I said, it's either now or it's later. It's going gonna, it's gonna to count towards something or somewhere, and everybody's always going to look at it and go, ah, long snapper, really? You're going to scholarship long snapper? That's just inherent. We uh, Arizona Italian uh, was talking about blue shirts, so he wrote in. And uh, I think we were emailing back and forth a little bit um, about blue shirts. He was asking, and I was like, you know, that that's really not a decision that's made until late. And so he was like, yeah, I know. Um, they're not decided until the last day or so, but even sorting out which recruits are even eligible for a blue shirt versus not meeting the definition of, uh, quote-unquote, unrecruited would be good. For some reason, um, because we had these two high school blue shirts a couple of years ago, lots of folks think it's an Lots of folks think it's a normal thing for high school kids to go that route. It's obviously not. It's mostly for transfers. So maybe you can talk about the blue shirting uh, process a little bit, Gerard, for Arizona Italian. Well, USC has had a, a tremendous success here with blue shirts. I mean, because you have to remember, Stevie Tui Kalawatu was actually technically a blue shirt. Um, Dante Burnett, blue shirt. Uh, so you've had some guys that have come through uh, that have blue shirted and, and had some success. Uh, Clayton Johnson, another guy that's uh, a blue shirt that USC is expecting big things from in the next few years. Daniel Metro um, Bebe played a huge role this year. He blue shirted. Another, yeah, another guy. So it, Matt Bormeister, you know, he's a blue. He was a blue shirt. You know, game winning kick. So yeah, lots of blue shirts. Yeah, we and we've seen it's pretty. It's kind of even. I mean, we've seen transfers get the blue shirts, and then we've also seen. Um, the, the high school guys get blue shirts. I would say the argument for a transfer getting a blue shirt is probably a little stronger just because it's one of those things that you, you don't know until you're at a point beyond signing day usually, and it's during the spring at some point when it comes to fruition, hold, this kid can leave for whatever reason. Either he just wants to straight out transfer from a school and sit out the year, or you actually have a grad, for, grad transfer situation like you had with Tui Kolowatu. So, that's a little more. It's nice to have a blue shirt you can throw out there and say, "Well, shoot, this guy's good enough that we'll we'll put, we'll count it against the next class." We're not going to find a guy that's going to make an impact like that in the next class. Certainly not as soon as a guy like Stevie Kolobatu. So, boom, let's let's go ahead and do it. Uh, but from the high school level, 
mean, look at Deontay Burnett. I mean, was, was there a guy that was, you know, more important to, in the passing game in that Rose Bowl? Uh, he's obviously going to be a big part of the offense next year. So if there's a guy like Jameer Calvin that you feel he can do the same things as Deontay Burnett, then maybe you bring him in. You have to always gauge it against the next class of receivers. You always have to gauge it against what you could get in that next class because that's always what you're putting against. You're taking away that ride from that 2018 class and you're giving it to the 2017 class. So, you know, and, and, and also the fact of, okay, what do we need right now? You know, it's the right now factor. What do we have coming in the fall? And even though this player, maybe there's a better player in the 2018 class, we can get this guy now and that's going to help us win games. And then, you know, it's sort of one of those things is, you know, a bird in the hand is we're two in the bush, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a debate. Really, it comes down to if you're a USC fan and you just want to know who's eligible for blue shirts, guy hasn't officially visited and he hasn't had an in-home visit from any USC coaching staff. That's basically what it comes down to. Scholarship offers and all that nonsense doesn't really matter. That's a blurred line. It's really about the in-home visits and the official visits. And if they haven't been on campus officially, and then you have to start to go, okay, that's a possible blue shirt. And it's specifically with the guys that are committed in the class right now. If those guys aren't on campus by January 20th, then you can start to think, okay, USC is going to offer up a blue shirt, or perhaps that player is not even a part of the class anymore. Um, so that's kind of where the blue shirt thing falls uh, at this point. I don't want to get into too many names of guys that are potential. I mean, obviously, we could list a whole bunch of guys. I mean, anybody who hasn't had an in-home visit uh, or uh, an official visit for USC is, is, is potentially a blue shirt. So you could, you could you know, talk about a bunch of guys that are five stars and guys that won't end up at USC as well. Um, but there's those guys that I know about that are sort of on the cusp. When I mentioned Jameer Calvin, and that was funny because Jameer Calvin actually was having this conversation with uh, Hunter Eccles at the Army All-American practices. After practice, Hunter Eccles was telling them, hey, man, you should just blue shirt to USC. And Jermil Cabin had no idea what a blue shirt was. And most <laughs> kids don't. And a lot of people just in general, I mean, I've even had writers tell people, oh, yeah, you got to sit out a year at a blue shirt. They don't even know what a blue shirt is. They think it's a gray shirt. Um, so there's a lot of ignorance out there when it comes to blue shirts and kind of understanding what it is. And so USC has to work against that as well. And certainly – it's something that they like to do at the end of the year, and they like to kind of spring it on because some of these kids are good enough, and, and most actually I think in the situations are good enough to go get a scholarship somewhere else. I mean, remember, Deontay Burnett was on his way to Washington State. He had Division I scholarship offers. He turned those down to blue shirt at USC. And certainly it's, not, it's really not a huge deal. I mean, it's just a matter of not going there for the season for summer school and then just showing up for fall camp, and then you've got your scholarship. Um, but – there's obviously a stigma that sort of comes with it. And so USC likes to keep that on the low until they can sort of, boom, you know, go after and, and kind of put that plan. But these kids, I think the ones that are potentially blue shirts, they're going to hear from the staff some point or another, somehow or another, um, and that and, and that a conversation is going to properly have to come up at some point. Um, obviously, there's whole recruited, non-recruited thing, but in terms of the dialogue of, hey, this is what it is, the kid has to understand what he's getting into before he actually does it. So it's not something that, you know, the kid's just going to say, hey, thanks for all the scholarship offers, but I'm going to blue shirt for USC, and USC goes, oh, really? Okay. Um, it doesn't happen like that. There has to be some contact. Um, probably another name, and it's come up a bunch, that's another guy that's a possible blue shirt. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Is Austin uh, Falu, um, the uh, defensive tackle from modern day, 6'4", 295, um, getting a lot of looks from a lot of different schools. 
Um, just got a scholarship offer, I think, from Texas or, or somebody just recently. A lot of people are asking me about him and how much is USC recruiting him. Well, there's a guy that doesn't have a scholarship offer yet, um, hasn't had any in-home visits with USC yet, and uh, hasn't officially visited USC yet. But if USC was to strike out on J2 Fale and Aubrey Solomon, perhaps that's a guy that they could bring in. They could bring him in even as a scholarship guy, but maybe perhaps – um, that's a guy that, you know, likes USC enough where, you know, he'd look at the blue shirt and take the blue shirt. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some, some names that float around out there. I know there's another receiver that USC really liked at their camp and is a possible guy. So, I mean, it's not out of their own possibility. Uh, they go the high school route, and they have a couple of blue shirts. All right. Uh, blue shirting 101. We, we have to talk about that a lot. And uh, that was the gift that Steve Sarkeesian gave to USC football. It's been, it actually worked out really well, so. Um, it's been a good tool to help recover from the sanctions. John wrote in and said, if I remember right, Leon McQuay was a five-star recruit from Florida who came late to USC. We had to rescind a scholarship offer to make room for him in the class and ask the California recruit to wait. He got miffed and went elsewhere. I believe it was UCLA. Whatever happened to the guy that left? And did he ever see the field and contribute anywhere? Leon McQuay should have been Rose Bowl defensive MVP. So glad uh, we did what it took to get him. That's from John. Kylie Fitz is his name, and he actually transferred from UCLA and went to Utah and played a bit for Utah. He started for Utah uh, for a couple years. Um, so he was a defensive end from Redlands East Valley High School. And it actually wasn't Leon McQuay committing at the last minute that took that right away. They knew Leon McQuay was coming for quite some time. Leon McQuay was actually supposed to commit, I think, in September. It was his dad that kept pushing him and telling him not to commit and really kind of pushing other schools and doing other things, and it got complicated. Finally, Leon just said, you know, I am going to go to USC, and he committed at the end of the year. But USC was prepared for that. That was that 2012 class that kind of fell apart a little bit at the end. What happened was USC, you got to remember that the scholarship total, the 85 total, is it counts towards all the players that are a part of the cycle, not only athletically but academically. And they didn't have some guys graduate mid-year like they anticipated. There was, I think, two guys that were supposed to graduate in December for USC, and they would no longer be on the books for the next spring. But those guys didn't graduate. So all of a sudden, there wasn't enough room for them to be able to get in, and that's when they said, oh, wait, one of these early enrollees, which are going to count for spring, we don't have room for them to count towards spring we got to get rid of somebody as an early enrollee. And they felt like Kylie Fitz was a big enough Trojan fan that he didn't understand, wouldn't be a big deal, but they gauged that wrong, and he had a complete meltdown and ended up deciding to go to UCLA, which is obviously a big mistake, an emotional knee-jerk reaction, and he eventually transfers out of there and ended up at Utah, and he did play at Utah for a bit. Yeah, that was uh, that was some crazy time. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a sanction thing. I mean, that without the sanctions – USC gets Kylie Fitz. Um, so it's just, you know, there's all these little things that kind of happened. And when we talk about the sanctions a lot, it's because it, there's, it's a major impact and you're still feeling it now. Normally, uh, if you're trying to get an extra person in the class, you can use an early enrollee. USC's not there yet. They're still using blue shirts to bar, borrow for next year's class. At some point, it'll get back to the point where USC could bring in someone because they didn't use a ride from the previous class, but it's just not, it's just not there yet. And, and that might take yeah, a you few. Can- you can look at the sanctions sort of as a teeter-totter. As they were going into sanctions, they were borrowing from the classes that were back. So you're borrowing from – so you have to get early enrollees because you're, you're borrowing backwards. It's basically how the early enrollee thing works. You can 
used that initial counter for the class before. But then you get to a point where you don't have that anymore because you have those sanctioned years. So then you're working with less scholarships if you're working back. You don't have any. So you have to start to move forward and take those rides from the classes ahead. So it's sort of like a teeter-totter, and at some point you get farther away from sanctions and things start to even out. So you have kind of the, the option of going forward or back. But uh, right now, yeah, it's, it's the blue shirt thing because you're trying to take those classes or those, those rides from the classes that are coming ahead. We got Alex who wrote in and said, you guys have been talking about support staff being the next arms race for the past year or so. And I was wondering whether USC was moving towards bolstering their own staff like the big boys of college football. Uh, thanks and fight on from Alex. And I think I started tweeting about this a little bit, Gerard, because of uh, Tom Herman, who's the new coach at Texas, was basically coming out saying, yeah, we got to hire support staff people like Alabama does. <laughs> Um, they're the, you know, they're the ones that have, that, you know, obviously Steve Sarkeesian, you have a former, you know, USC head coach as your offensive analyst. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. So, you know, they, and then once you lose your offensive coordinator, you can just bring in, oh, we have a, a guy on staff already who was a former head coach at Washington and USC. So we'll just bring him in as the offensive coordinator. Um, USC obviously doesn't have anything like that going, but Alex wants to know getting there. What, what's the, what's the scoop? Well, first of all, I find it interesting that Tom Herman all of a sudden starts to talk about sports staff and Ryan Abraham starts to tweet about it. I've been talking about support staff for the past two years, yes. and it, it was the next arms race. It is the arms race now. Like, it's happening. There's no – if this was the next arms race probably like three years ago, two years ago, it's happening now. That's a good question. Is USC, if they figured it out, if USC is always behind the curve, Pac-12 is always behind the curve with all this stuff. Football just doesn't matter as much to these universities as it does down there in the South. And they're always trying to find loopholes, and they're always pushing forward. That's just the way it's been. That's the way it's always probably going to be. So is, has enough time passed now that it, USC has kind of figured it out? I, I think so. I think when they went after, after, uh, there's my accent kicking in there from, uh, you know, my days in Europe, um, <laughs> <laughs> my days backpacking in the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, I think it really kicked in when they went after uh, Austin Thomas. I think that was sort of the first obvious step that Clay Helton went, okay, let's, let's really try to bolster our support staff. Let's spend money here on a guy that has a rep for recruiting and personnel and let's 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 make sure we have somebody there that's very competent in that in that uh, that realm. Um, obviously, it didn't work out so well because Austin Thomas was out. I mean, like two three months after he got hired, uh, but it was a signal that okay, USC is getting kind of serious about this. Um, they have an opening now on the support staff, and and quite frankly, I, I mean, I don't know that there's really a, a hard limit on support staff these days. Um, so saying they have an opening, they may have six openings. I, you know, I don't know. But they obviously have a vacancy uh, that has been created by Kenyoro Hudson going to FAU. He's going to be a part of Lane Kiffin's staff. And that's, that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle that's gone now because Kenyoro Hudson was involved with a lot of Florida players. And he was able to land a couple big-time Florida players, obviously, namely, you know, Leonard Williams. He was a big part of that. Uh, Quentin Powell, um, he was even involved somewhat with Aguilar. Um, there's been a few players that have come through, uh, Keyshawn Pye, Jamel Cook. So you've got to try to replace that. And certainly you have to continue to try to bolster, especially when you consider some of USC staff being 
uh, more of the NFL mindset and not recruiting um, terribly hard or relentlessly. Um, the defensive staff specifically, not to call anybody out, but you've got some NFL guys there that just don't get how relentless you have to be, how personable you have to be, how much you have to really try to establish relationships and, and, and that continuity there uh, for years at a time in order to land some of these big recruits. And so USC is sort of handicapping themselves to some extent with their coaching staff. And so the only way that you're going to be able to make up for that is to have a really good support staff. And they have a good support staff. They have a, I mean, USC support staff for the past two years has been like totally overshooting. I mean, they've, they've been totally better than anybody would expect. They don't have any guys on that staff that are making, you know, $500,000 or $200,000. I mean, you, you see, you talk about Alabama and, and Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian is the latest in a long line of full-time coaches. I, mean, I think one of the first guys that they brought in for support staff, which raised everybody's eyebrows, was Kevin Steele, who was a defensive coordinator at, uh, at Clemson. And, I mean, you're talking about a guy that was a well-known defensive coordinator that had been a defensive coordinator at several major colleges throughout his career and was stepping in to be a personnel guy at Alabama. And everybody's going, how what? How much is he making as a personnel guy? Oh, $500,000 a year. That was unheard of at that point. And that's this is probably five, six years ago this happened. So since then you've had Tosh Lapoy come on as a recruiting analyst making $300,000 a year. You had um, uh, the Jer- uh, Jeremy Pruitt, who's now their defensive coordinator, years ago was a defensive um, assistant. At, at Alabama. So, I mean, Alabama's had a bunch of guys. Mike Loxley, who I think is still at Alabama, was a head coach at Maryland for a number of years. <laughs> so you've got guys on that staff that are making, I think the last number I heard was $3.1 million. That's how much Alabama spends on their support staff. I can guarantee you, USC doesn't spend half of that. So, again, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe a quarter. US- you know. Yeah, yeah, something more, more like that. So, yeah, that's, that's the arms race. That's where it is right now. It's not so much facilities. Everybody's got nice facilities. Um, you know, all the, all the top schools are paying their coaches. They're paying their coordinators. Now it's how much money can you put in to that support staff? Because I think what people are anticipating down the line is that the support staff is going to become more like the, sec- the scouting staff with NFL teams. And the evaluations and a lot of the in-person contact that you're going to have before the in-home visit process is going to be done by the support staff. That's what everybody's anticipating, just because of how much time and effort it takes to recruit these kids. And, you know, (laughs) you can be a coach or you're a recruiter, and it's becoming where recruiting is just so omnipresent and always happening, and it just never stops. And I I can vouch for that because I cover it. It just never ends. And so you've got these coaches that are trying to coach on top of trying to coach and, and talk to these kids 24-7. They don't have lives. And so, um, you know, obviously if you separated that and you said, all right, your full-time coaches have no access to these recruits. They can't leave campus. That kind of, you know, it, it forces them and, and somewhat relieves them of having to be the recruiters all through the year. And it just becomes that process of, okay, now we're going to official visits and we're going to in-home visits, and that's all they really have to concentrate on. Everything else is put on the sports staff, and that's what they do 24 hours a day. That is their job. Maybe on top of cutting film or whatever, but really recruiting is their job, and that would free up, I think, those full-time staff members. 
Yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, I think it's a very important step for Clay Helton. There probably won't be any position coach changes, but bringing in some significant names on the sports staff, I think, is a, a real key for this uh, offseason. Let's see. Tark had another question. He says, does uh, Taylor Katoa remind you at all of Osa Messina? And if not, what linebacker recruit of recent memory does he remind you of? No, he doesn't remind me of Osa Messina. Um, Osa Messina was a running back and a linebacker and really kind of played all over the place uh, when he was in high school and, and was a very dominant player in high school. I mean, he was a great player in high school and certainly bigger, lankier, um, just this different kind of player uh, altogether. I, I don't know that Katoa necessarily reminds me of anybody specifically. you got to remember that he's only played – uh, linebacker this past season. I mean, he was kind of a defensive end, but really no more as a quarterback uh, throughout his high school career. So we're just sort of starting to see him play linebacker. There's nobody that comes to mind that's just, oh, yeah, you know, Hayes Pollard or uh, Lofa Tatupu. I mean, Lofa Tatupu, at least, he did play quarterback um, in high school and came out of high school as a quarterback and then went to Maine and developed in the linebacker and then transferred to USC. Uh, so I mean, you could say there may be some comparison from uh, on paper, certainly that you've got a smart kid, any kid that's played high school football and played quarterback uh, for four years is going to be able to process and understand playbooks. And that's always an advantage having playing mid- middle linebacker or inside linebacker because just from a processing standpoint and to be able to know plays, make calls, you know, none of that stuff is going to overwhelm him. Um, so, I mean, there's some, some comparisons, you know, there in terms of intangibles. Uh, but, you know, Lofa was 5'11 and 225 and just a jet. I mean, he was really fast. I don't know that Katoa has that kind of athleticism. Um, so there's, there's nobody, yeah, that just jumps out like, uh, oh, yeah, he's a great comparison to this guy. You, you'd have to kind of accumulate, you know, certain parts of different players' um, abilities and say, yeah, he does this like Mike Hutchings, and he does this like Lofa Tatupu. I don't think there's just this one guy, uh, at least that comes to mind right now, just off the top of my head. Eric Duck Country said, I have a question for Gerard. I know you said that family is very important to Polynesian players. Could USC's tradition of successful Polynesian players and its current presence of Polynesian players on the roster give USC an advantage over other schools back east? I was thinking specifically about Jay Tefeli and some of the other defensive targets. Thanks for all the hard work you do. Eric. Rapid fire. Yes. Next question. Um, I would say yes, but, I mean, you're, you're recruiting against Utah and obviously there's you know, a lot of Polynesian players playing for Utah. He's not really back east. You know, he's, he's from Utah. And Aubrey Solomon is not Polynesian. You, you don't really have a lot of Polynesian players back east. You know, Michigan is trying to really, really recruit Polynesian players. They're really making a big surge to try to recruit a lot of Polynesian players. And they got Chuck Fahiaga, uh, who just committed at the Army All-American game to Michigan. Um, it's a really sort of tempered... Uh, line there, and they kind of sort of made up some things to make it seem like they have a tradition with Polynesian players. I saw them put up some type of flyer on Twitter, and it was it had uh, Haloti Nata on there, and how these guys. I'm going, these guys didn't play it 
at, at freaking Michigan? What, what is this nonsense? And it was the, the thing was, oh, the coach had coached this guy, and, this, and they had coached guys that were Polynesian. So you have a guy like Haloni Nada who went to Oregon on this thing, like, you know, kids are dumb and they don't realize, like, yeah, he went to Oregon. He didn't go to Michigan. They were just, yeah, kind of that kind of thing. It's recruiting. It's dirty pool. It's what they do. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, most of the kids that you were going to recruit from Polynesia – they're going to be from Utah, so there's a lot of guys there, or, 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 or you know, BYU's there. Obviously, they have got a great Polynesian tradition. Um, Northwest, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Washington has a great Polynesian tradition. So you're, you know, you're battling with schools that are, you know, they're not just like Michigan, which is really Michigan's a one school that probably is trying to recruit a lot of Polynesian players, and they really don't have any kind of tradition of that, mainly because they don't have a lot of Polynesian players in Michigan. Amazing. They don't like Michigan. <laughs> Zero degrees, like for, you know. 200 days a year or whatever, but um, yeah, so you're, you're not necessarily fighting, you're, you're, you're sort of fighting against schools that have their own traditions, so um, it's not, it doesn't probably stand out quite as much, although in terms of the success, obviously USC just like across the board with any type of player, I mean, they've got a bunch of guys in the NFL and they've had a lot of successful players, so that's more or less, hey, look, at yeah, we've got a great Polynesian tradition, but it's not just a Polynesian tradition, it's a tradition of Polynesian players coming here and then going to the next level and being successful. And that's like I just with every position and every nationality and ethnicity. I mean, USC has a bunch of those guys. I mean, shoot, you know, the Nigerian tradition is probably the new one that they're trying to push. I mean, that was some big with, you know, Olawale Bediku with guys like Nelson Aguilar. And then you got the Amator Bebes, you know, that may be the next sort of branch of tradition in terms of ethnicity and being able to say, hey, look, at, you know, we've had not only these players play here, but we've had these guys become successful on and off the field here all right uh we got a couple more gerard so jonah wrote in he had a question about darnay holmes he committed to ucla at the army bowl so this was sent in before that also about wyatt davis and uh i think you already covered that so thanks for writing in uh jonah um austin and denver uh had he had a question about another grad transfer like stevie tuikulavatu um i think we already kind of addressed that he also mentioned, though, like maybe hire their defensive line coach. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, that's a, that's one strategy, right? Hire who's the defensive line coach? I guess of like a transfer or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you would do that, but that's, uh. Well, that's what the, that's, I mean, we're talking about the, the support staff and that's sort of always the angle with schools and support staff. A new coach comes in and they have a clean slate with support staff. So they go out and they hire whoever is a coach of whatever. Good players. I mean, what did Jim Harbaugh do? He went out and, and hired uh, the coach that was Rashawn Gary's coach in high school. His head coach went brought him as a part of the support staff. Um, Tom Herman did the same thing at Houston. He went in and went, grabbed the Westfield uh, head coach, and he got Ed Oliver. So, I mean, USC's got a, a spot open on their support staff. I mean, they just should just go out and say, okay, J2 Fale, Aubrey Solomon, what's a position to need where we need to go out and just grab a guy and – and then we'll take his coach, and hopefully he's got some guys in back of him. They're going to be good players too, and we just create a pipeline, and boom, there we go. That's 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 how you 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 populate your support staff. Yeah, no, it's, it's smart. We'll see if uh, USC tries to pull anything off like that. Um, let's see, Corey. So we have two more. Corey said, "Could Solomon and Tefele play next to each other in USC's defense, or are, are they too similar? And do you think Bolden could morph into a linebacker similar to Sua Craven?" Uh, last question, no. I think Bolden's definitely a safety. And first question, yes. I think they could definitely play next to each other. That, 
defense that they're playing, I mean, first and foremost, right now they're playing a 2-4-5. I mean, that has basically been the base defense, which, you know, we always look at that as more of a sub-defense. It's more of a nickel defense that you play, and your base defense is going to be a 34, it's going to be a 43. But, I mean, you can only play a defense personnel set so much, and so you've got to call that your base defense. So USC, and that might be something that sort of can hurt them on the recruiting trail to some point, they've only played two down defensive linemen the whole year. Um, they've played three a few times, but literally I would say probably 96% of the time they've played uh, a two-down set. And so if you only have two spots there to recruit, then, you know, these guys are looking at it going, well, you know, I mean, how many guys do you have on the depth chart? There's only uh, a possibility I start. There's only two guys on the defensive line. There's only two spots that I could possibly play. So that's something that they're going to have to probably work against a little bit on the recruiting trail. But certainly in that defense, yeah, you could put Solomon, uh, Aubrey Solomon. I got, that's, a, that's a tricky name. Aubrey Solomon, Solomon Aubrey. You know, at some point during the Army All-American Ball, I was just basically calling him um, Sabri Alleman. You know, Sabri Alleman. That was like the joke between <laughs> the shotgun and I. Sabri Alleman, we're covering, we're covering both names at the same time. Uh, but Aubrey Solomon, 6'3", 300 pounds. Like I said, plays a lot of one shade. So he's a guy you could just put on, you know, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, and boom. Uh, you've got, you know, another Stevie Tuikolovacu type. Um, at that position. But, you know, same thing with J2 Fele. I mean, he's probably 290, 295, and he carries extremely well. He looks more like he's 280. Um, and he shocked us when he was, I think, 296 last March at the Nike Camp Regionals up in Oakland. I didn't believe him until I actually looked at his car and I was like, yeah, 296. I go, wow, dude, that's actually like 275, 280. Um, so both those guys are kind of interchangeable. They could both be 300 plus pounds. They could both play some one shade. Um, I think Tufele could certainly play maybe a little more of a defensive end spot. He's really quick and really agile. Um, both of those guys, I mean, that would be, that'd be a hell of a combination to be able to land. I mean, in my opinion, uh, J2 Fele is a five-star as much as anybody I've ever seen. Um, he, you know, I, we have him on this four-star scout. I, I, I really assumed that he was a five-star after the spring and everything like that. I don't know if he got moved down or what have you kind of hard to keep track i you know my evaluations and what we do is, is really focused on usc and you know i know there's certain guys that usc is you know high on their board and everything like that so i kind of always have to keep in mind that but yeah j2 Fellies is as good as anything and you could certainly even if you were playing a more traditional 34 front like clancy pendergast did in 2013 uh, when he was there with ed ergeron and you had three defensive linemen that were down defensive linemen um i think you could definitely put both those guys on the field at the same time it's very interchangeable those those two or three uh, inside spots are pretty interchangeable. The one thing you do want to have is a guy like Stevie Tuinkolovatu, who is a 300-pound-plus guy who's got that lower center of gravity that leverage-wise can win at the line of scrimmage, who can win against that center at the snap of the ball. And the quicker he is, the more potential penetration you have in that offensive line because you kind of sort of – it implodes a bit. It sort of collapses on itself. When you've got a really good one shade that can not only occupy that center but beat him, it forces those guards to start to collapse in. And that's when you have guys like Porter Gustin and, uh, and, and Yuchenna Nwasu who are the more athletic speed rushers that can come off that edge, and they, they really have more room to be able to negotiate. And, uh, and that's where you start to see a lot of pass rush, and you get a lot of sacks when you have that. All right, we got one last one for you, Gerard. 
and we'll let you go. Neil wrote in. He said, is USC still recruiting head cases that can't be kept under control? This is going to be good. Uh, I'm talking about Jabari Ruffins. Okay, he's not a head case. I'll give you that. Uh, Chuma Dogo, Osama and others. Helton has handled these uh, head cases well, and I don't think I've seen any unsportsmanlike conduct penalties since the Cal game, which is impressive. But the question is, are they still recruiting these head cases? Can Helton keep them under control? Uh, that's from Neil, Gerard. What do you think? I think that USC is doing a pretty good job of, of trying to keep character as a part of the recruiting process. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's tough. And, and I, you know, I don't like Chuma Doga necessarily being thrown in there. I, I don't know that, you know, he's a head case. There's a lot of people who say, oh, he's going to transfer, he's going to do this, he can do that. But I don't necessarily know that that's really, you know, you would, you would, you would put him in there with a guy like Jabari Ruffin who obviously got thrown but off. You get, the you team. get a penalty. It's like, it doesn't mean you're a head case, you know. You're, yeah, exactly. It, there, you know, and, and trying to, Project that sometimes is difficult. Sometimes it's easy. You know, you get a guy like Marquise Ambles, who USC, when Pete Carroll was there, didn't recruit. He's a five-star receiver, and USC backed off him. They said, no, no, too much stuff going on. I, the funny story is, you know, Todd McNair was actually uh, in charge of recruiting him. And I remember having a conversation with Todd during the spring. And I was like, you know, Marquise Ambles, man, he wants to come to USC. Like, I've talked to the kid. He wants to come to USC, but he's got some issues. And they went down there in May, and Todd McNair went down there and had a lot of good contacts in Atlanta, and he talked to a lot of coaches, talked to his former coaches, because Marquis Ambles had, had transferred a couple times, talked to people around the neighborhood. And he got the impression, you know, this kid is not hes not on the level. He's a shitbird, basically, is what, what the conclusion was. And so they stopped recruiting him altogether. Lane Kiffin comes along. And good old Lane is like, hey, Marquise Ambles, we got to get that guy, because Tennessee was then at the point of, of having him committed. They were, you know, they had worked on him, and and he was going to go to Tennessee. So Lane had like this really good relationship with Marquise Ambles, which is ironic when you think about it. So Lane, with Todd McNair still on the staff, is like, okay, Todd, pack your bags and go to Atlanta. You're going to recruit Marquise Ambles, and Todd has basically stopped taking his phone calls. So a little awkward situation. But that was one where Todd and the former staff had a read, and they knew who Marquis Ambles was. Lane didn't. Lane didn't care. Lane was like, hey, he's a great player. We need to get great players. We need to make a big splash in recruiting. You know, Ed was all about statements with recruiting, and they brought in Marquis Ambles, knowing eh, maybe not the best solid character in the world, very mature, had some issues. So, yeah, there, there are ones you can see sort of a mile away. And then there's kids you can bring in, you know, maybe they have some issues and they correct themselves once they get out of the situation. You know, they, they get out of their surroundings. Um, so, and it's, you know, I, I, mean, I, think one of the, I think it's kind of one of those things where USC is always going to take a couple flyers, a class. Um, you just don't want to take more than that. And maybe Lane got a little more into like four or five kids in a class where it was like, oh, those kind of sketchy guys. I think Clay Elton's doing a pretty good job of, you know, not only with the guys he's recruiting, but I think it's really more evident in how he's handling the locker room. You know, guys like E.J. Price and, and, and guys like uh, just, you know, Jabari Ruffin. I mean, the, the guys that have been kind of weeded out a bit, that's all sort of Clay Elton putting his foot down saying, no, that's not how we're going to do things. We're not going to turn another cheek 
you know, with this. We're not going to turn a blind eye with some of these things that are going on off the field. And he's, he's, he's weeded that out. And it's like you can recruit whoever and then bring them in. And if they don't work out, then they go. And that's really the question. It's like, you know, are you Bob Stoops in Oklahoma? Do you turn a blind eye and say, okay, yeah, slap on the wrist, you're not going to play this year, knowing there's those issues, and then he continues to play, you know, Joe Mixon, you know, the rest of the time there? Or do you kind of put your foot down when the kid is in, in the program? And you see, you know, because a lot of things it's like, are you going to penalize and punish a player for supposed things that he's done? And then you bring him into the environment and he can change. And that's, that's really kind of what you, you know, comes down to as a, as a head coach. How much do you feel you can change and develop a young man when you bring him into a positive environment? And if he doesn't change within that positive environment, then yeah, you got to weed him out. So I think that's kind of sort of where Clay is. I think, yeah, he's projecting pretty good, but more than anything, they may take a couple of flyers on some guys, but when you bring him to the program, either you make it or you don't make it, and he's not hesitant to weed those guys out. Gerard Martinez does an amazing job covering USC football recruiting for uscfootball.com. Gerard, great stuff. Thought it was a great show. Uh, I don't think we got to do one last week, but we'll definitely be doing ones uh, every week leading up. No, we did a 20-minute video. Yeah, you guys did that video. I did a 20 minute video, which, hey man, we had B roll, and they say pictures are worth a thousand words, so video is worth a million words, so boom, it was at least an hour podcast type. Yeah, you guys should definitely check that out up on uscfootball.com from uh, updates from the Army All American Bowl. But uh, everyone always sends in the questions, and uh, so we got to them all. And uh, thanks for everyone for sending them in. And thank you, Gerard, for coming on. Thank you for having me, and uh, probably be back next week after big January 13th visit. Just posted. Um, a list. It, it might be a partial list. We're not sure. Could be a couple other guys officially visiting January 13th. But you got Bubba Bolden coming in, Isaiah Palomao, uh, Javon Kinlaw, who's a uh, defensive tackle from Jones um, County, uh, Mississippi, a JUCO. So that's you know kind of the JUCO transfer. Everybody's looking for that. That's a kid coming in. Uh, we'll see how things go with him. Uh, USC having Aubrey Solomon and Jay Tufeli also. Uh, on campus at the same time. So big official visit weekend. And like I said, it could maybe be a couple more names uh, that get added to the list. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Jay, you know, Josh Follow, another big tight end, kind of USC looking for that second tight end as a four-star tight end from Sacramento. I mean, that would be a huge get if they're able to get him, um, you know, in there with uh, Eric uh, or You know, that, that that's kind of, you know, the two that tight end set. USC hasn't been able to run a lot of that with, um, you know, just the depth things that they have really with, with the depth chart at tight end. So um, if you were able to get two talented tight ends, that would be a big thing. So, yeah, you know, defensive tackle, tight end, definitely going to be one of those uh, weekends where, you know, they're recruiting uh, not just big-time players, but, you know, they're recruiting for need. All right, great stuff. Gerard Martinez, uh, he's always up to speed on what's going on with USC football recruiting. You can't miss it. Go check it out on the site. Uh, if you're a fan at all, you want to make sure you're reading what Gerard is posting daily up on the Peristyle. So thanks to Art again for coming on, and thank you all for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. We do plan to do more shows this week, uh, probably Dan and probably Coach Harvey Hyde. So maybe we'll have some guests and stuff, but that's the plan right now. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 